Hello and welcome everybody, FPL Teacher here bringing you another quick review of Brighton 1 Crystal Palace New, the exact result needed for Game Week 27 double Game Week owners all over the world as Poetic Justice came in March for Solid March, while for Crystal Palace, well, they suffer yet another defeat that was barely deserving of a point. Once again, falling prey to some of Brighton's best moments rather than an overarching strategy. Brighton, in this new look 4-2-3-1, sometimes resembles a 2-3-5 depending on which fullback pushes into midfield. However, with McAllister as the number 10, he now served as a reliable pivot, enabling the likes of Danny Welbeck as a striker, if not the venturing Pascal Gross, who could go into the right half space of attacking midfield whenever he wanted. As a reminder to most people who have listened to Brighton analysis pods, the first focus comes down to how Brighton execute their plan A in the presence of opposition strategies rather than looking at who shown first, simply because Brighton have made their strategies so bleeding obvious that their ventures into the final thirds basically raise the question of whether they sustain it throughout 90 minutes based on game state or do they just take the lead, sit back and just play on the counter. In this particular case, they faced immense pressure as usual when the score is still goalless and Crystal Palace's pressure obviously paid off as Brighton were forced into a lot of awkward balls out to the flanks for their centre-backs to handle. Nevertheless, they do engineer solutions given a little bit of time and it was in the 10th minute where they finally found inspiration playing mid-range balls into the areas just past the centre circle. There were two key movements that were the catalyst of such play. First of all, Joel Veltman from right back ventured into deep midfield, filling in the right defensive midfield space. This relieved a little bit of pressure of Casado, who was heavily pressed by Palace's attacking midfield, and this allowed for a quick direct passage to Pascal Gross, who was virtually unmarked from either Sanchez, Chips, or if not one of the centre-backs directly. So, with this first passage of play secured, the question just came down to where the transition happened quickest. Once, usually in the earlier parts of the season, De Zerbi would have his wingers receive the ball directly on the run. But in this particular case, their wingers were actually instructed to make diagonal runs, one out wide and one in field. And initially, what happened was that McAllister's movement out wide would get March to move in field. Mitoma would basically reply in turn later on in the match, as in the second half, March would pull out wide while Mitoma drifted in field. In the end though, the result is relatively simple. So long as Brighton hit teams in transition, Solly March is king. He remains the only option that actually runs behind defences and this was exactly how they punished an aggressive Crystal Palace. But if they were to somehow build their team up further into the box, pushing their defensive midfielders, such as Casado forward, for example. In the 19th minute, basically Solimarch was pushed all the way back into midfield via Crystal Palace's fullbacks. And here, we saw him play Pascal Gross, enabling March and eventually finding McAllister, where the rebound was swept up by Casado. 
Now for the purpose of longevity, it has to be said that McAllister is starting to become a growing influence, not because of Mitoma's presence, but actually because of Estupinian. The fullback was once again another willing participant in the final third of attack, but only when Brighton dominated the ball. So Long story short, in transition in the opening stages, we will see Solimach almost certainly involved in the big chances while McAllister and Mitoma play a facilitating role. While in the second half, when Brighton built to a crescendo, we will see the likes of McAllister come to the fore being playmaker or shot taker himself involving Mitoma as well as Estupinian. Crystal Palace who once again have proved to be a side that are not afraid to take their game to the big boys utilizing the talents or at least the athletic abilities of their attacking midfielders who are all diligent and willing to help press opponents down. The fullbacks once again took up aggressive positionings as they are 4-3-3. Sort of had the likes of Olis and Zaha in the half spaces rather than the wide spaces. This was not a permanent approach, of course, as the likes of the Kore as well as Schlup once again from the half spaces basically dictated how Palace attacked. Should Schlup, for instance, pull out wide, the three forwards will naturally stay as a compact unit of three. Whereas if Schlup were to venture into the half space himself, then we will almost certainly see Zaha on the left side position himself to take Joel Veltman on 1v1. The wide positionings of the forwards initially, at least in the opening 10 minutes in particular, saw Zaha take on his defenders as usual, while Olis played a smarter, more incisive role, taking advantage of Palace's insistence on vertical passes forward. So that big chance from Olis aside that caught Brighton cold, it really was a symptom of Brighton's defence being reactive and passive, waiting for Palace to attack them, banking on Palace's one-dimensional or one-paced approach. Brighton's predictions were proven to be right, as Palace's attacks once again only stemmed from free kicks and Saha 1v1s really in the final third as Crystal Palace eventually lacked solutions to being 1-0 behind. Now of course it has to be said that Palace would almost never interest our investment unless you are a certain popular contrarian. So at this stage we look at how the cracks started to appear for Palace venturing into the second half. The first of it came via their aggressive approach that left a lot of space for Sheik to Kore to cover. The out-and-out defensive midfielder in this particular case had to deal with multiple Brighton attacking midfielders around him, basically conceding an early yellow card while towing the line very, very carefully going into the break with yet another heavy foul at the stroke of half-time. He was promptly taken off for for Ebere Eze as they attempted to link, had a better link between their front three and their defensive midfield, which ultimately did not work as well while Brighton continued to dominate the ball. So really at the end of the day, the most damning stat that reflects Palace's plight comes down to the timing of the chances conceded by both sides in the second half. After the break, Danny Welbeck and Estupnian both had relatively big chances in the first five minutes and that was followed by Jeffrey Schlup's attempt from range. After that, McAllister had multiple chances and then, once again, Wilfred Zaha hit them on the counter. 
Lastly, Enciso was the one who pushed forward while Ahamada replied with yet another shot from range, oh sorry, capitalizing on a Jason Steele error, error in the final minutes of the second half. This at least gives Palace a relative shot at wrestling something from the game, even though they expose themselves to multiple Brighton attacks. This particular philosophy will probably be what Brighton will attempt to rely on as they face bigger sides, but as it stands, we know that after the international break, their fixtures will turn and we will see if Palace will continue this approach and perhaps have the volume of chances and the quality of chances turn in their favour. This game could easily have been chalked down to a match where one side took their chances while the other didn't as the final XG reading will see Crystal Palace top their opponents 1.2 to 0.6. In the end, the difference maker really was that Oli's chance in the 8th minute and the question comes down to whether Palace will continue to attempt to start fast and persist with that tempo or whether they will try something different to go slightly more defensive with an away trip against Arsenal up next. While for Brighton, their push for Europe continues and we will continue to rely on their front four delivering depending on who the pivot player is. This is FPL Teacher finishing the Crystal Palace reviews up with Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1 up next.